From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade Menezes is in the house. We talk faith, family, and fellowship on Tuesday, so pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 205-271-2985. And um, you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. That's openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes, how are you? I'm doing great, Jack, on this feast day of St. Francis de Sales, who is a patron for the team here today at Open Line Tuesday. He is a patron saint of many things. I'll go through the list here shortly. But uh, he's also the patron saint of writers, journalists, media people, whether print, broadcast, television, or social media. So there you have it, St. Francis de Sales, along with being the patron saint of confessors, deaf people, writers, educators, and a whole host of dioceses here in the United States, like Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Home of Thibodeau in Louisiana, and uh, also uh, of churches, numerous churches in those dioceses. Um, He's also the patron saint of several cities, like Wilmington, Delaware, Baker, Oregon, again, Columbus, Ohio, and even Cincinnati, Ohio. So there you have it. Yeah, he... uh probably most known most known for uh that great work introduction to the devout life that's right uh, his, spiritual classic yeah his his uh really sort of his instruction to a group of cloistered nuns if i'm not mistaken yes with the intention of of writing it for laity uh addressed it to a philothea uh, an, an imaginary woman who could represent any state in life, really. And his point was, you are called to become holy where you are. He says, married men are not meant to be monks. Monks are not to act with the freedom of married men who work in the world, such as merchants or, or sellers, etc., etc. And he says, uh, the, the cloistered nun is not to uh, be so concerned with, with housework, although it's important to keep the convent clean, as a domestic mother and wife would be who's at home uh, in the domesticity of the work with the children and helping to raise the children, etc. So just a beautiful balance of recognizing that everybody is called to be holy where they are in their vocation and state in life. And what's the, uh, and moving off now of St. Francis de Sales, um, what is the, uh, what is the Latin phrase for, uh, that describes that something is efficacious by the mere execution of its 
self. Ex, uh, ex opere operato. Yeah. Yeah, but by virtue of the work having been worked, and that's what I want to talk about today yeah. with, the, with the sacraments. You know, last week we talked about uh, 10 uh, temporal resolutions and, and 14 spiritual resolutions to possibly take on for the new year for the body-soul composite that we are. Well, for those spiritual resolutions, several of them were sacramental, if you'll recall, Jack, from that list that you and I love so much on 14 spiritual exercises to help foster the spiritual life, which our listeners can find at fathersofmercy.com as one of my blogs, one of my blog posts. But there was a monthly confession and a weekly visit to the Blessed Sacrament along with Sunday Obligation Mass, which we do out of love, not out of fear. Every Sunday is a holy day of obligation, right? So given that fact that some of those were sacramental in nature, I want to I walk through the form and matter of each of the seven sacraments. You know, each of the seven sacraments requires a specific form or formula, meaning the words used, the proper words used to help convey and, and uh, administer that sacrament to the individual, and matter, the stuff, S-T-U-F-F, whether it be, whether it be water, whether it be, whether it be oil, whether it be words expressed in exchange, like in matrimony, etc. Matter and form for these sacraments to be validly received, and they also require the proper intent from the administrator of the sacrament. They don't rely on the holiness of the administrator of the sacrament, but they do rely on uh, the proper intent of, of the one administrating the sacrament. So for baptism, we have this form or formula. I'll use the, the, the name John as, 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 as a name. John, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the matter for baptism, John, uh, Jack, excuse me, is water, uh, either by immersion, infusion, or by sprinkling. And infusion would be what we see with babies, for example, or infants when it's a, a, a three-time pouring over the forehead. For confirmation... Thank you for clearing that up. I was getting a little concerned about... <laughs> <laughs> If I call you John anymore during this hour, please fraternally correct me. There will be no hard feelings. I was more confused. I was more concerned about the infusion. I didn't know what we were. Oh. <laughs> we, we had needles involved in baptism sometime. I missed that. Yeah, no, no, no. That's the term used for the pouring. It's you're infusing the water upon just a part of the body as, as opposed to a full body immersion or a sprinkling of the body. So immersion, infusion, and sprinkling. For confirmation, the form or the formulary or the formula by the bishop or his designated priest. So a priest can be properly designated for confirmation, but properly deputed is the canonical term. I'll use the first name John again, is John be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, while uh, the holy chrism, the blessed oil, and the laying on of hands by the bishop or a delegated priest is imparted to the individual receiving the sacrament. Um, used to be a little slap involved there. Do you remember the slap, Jack? Or, or um, as a convert, I, I do. I, I, I'm familiar with it, but I don't remember it firsthand. Yeah. So after the person received the, the laying on the hands and the chrism applied uh, to them, to their forehead, then there was a slight little uh, slap to the cheeks. N not meant to be a slap, but more of a congratulatory gesture. For the Eucharist, of course, the priest, the formula is the words of consecration, the words of institution. They are also known as, we say, as priests, this is my body, which will be given up for you. Do this in memory of me. And this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me, eternal covenant. Do this in memory of me. And the matter is unleavened bread in the Western Rite, 
and a grape wine, pure grape wine. For confession, we have the form or the formulary uh, the priest has got, and this is not a confessional absolution. I want to make that clear, which it wouldn't work anyway because we can't give absolution over the airwaves. Uh, God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and poured out the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the Church, may God grant you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, those words might sound a little different in in two places to our listeners, and if they sense that, they are correct, because we have a new absolution rite, which may be used beginning on Ash Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023, and it will be required beginning on Divine Mercy Sunday, April 16th, 2023. And so the Vatican has approved the USCCB's request for these minor changes. So instead, uh, uh, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. It now reads, uh, and has reconciled the world to himself and poured out the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. So sent is replaced with poured out, and the words among us are deleted altogether. Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins, not Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. And instead of may God give you pardon and peace, it's may God grant you pardon and peace, implying a total gratuitous act on God's part. So it's very, very uh, beautiful alterations there. For marriage, the couple's I do, by which a man and a woman indicate their mutual consent to the marriage covenant, is the form or the formulary or the formula for the sacrament of matrimony, and the matter is a mutual consent and covenant of one man and one woman to live together as husband and wife, and the consummation of the marriage through the beautiful conjugal act, the marital embrace. For holy orders, the form or the formula is the bishop's specific consecratory prayer asking God for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and his gifts proper to the ministry to which the candidate is being ordained. And the matter is the laying on of hands with the consecratory prayer. How beautiful is that? Uh, that's that's the, the laying on of hands on the ordinandi's head. For the anointing of the sick, we have the prayer of the priest over the sick person for the grace of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. And the matter is uh, with holy oil and the imposition of hands, both on the forehead and also on their hands. So there you have it, the matter in the form of the seven sacraments. I invite any RCIA candidate looking to enter the church this April uh, on Easter Sunday to give us a call and tell us if you've covered the sacraments yet in your formation. 833-288-EWTN. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. New for you this month from EWTN Publishing, Prayers of Desperation, a questioner's prayer for answers in our darkest moments by Bishop Robert Baker. He explains powerful ways to pray when facing the pain of abandonment, serious illness, addiction, loss of a loved one, or large-scale disaster. It's an easy-to-read prayer and meditation book 
that includes things like lessons from St. Teresa of Calcutta's real-life experience on the question of where are you, God, the spirituality, the spiritually intense avenues for human divine encounters that brings you God's healing, and much, much more. Prayers of Desperation, a questioner's prayer for answers in our darkest moments by Bishop Robert Baker, available at EWTNRC.com, by Catholic Shop, EWTNRC.com. Three lines lit up, three lines open. Give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. First up today is Sarah in El Centro, California, listening on John Paul II Radio. Sarah, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. I'm just locking my office. (laughs) How are you? Good afternoon. Farther away, right? Yes, Sarah, thank you so much for your call today from El Centro, California. Yes, so my issue is um, I have friends, I'm Catholic, I have friends that are not, and some do argue about um, what's the Church doing about um, priests that are accused of abuse? Mm -hmm. That is, you know, uh, Peter... Yeah, great question. Great question, and one that's often a concern of our non-Catholic friends. You know, what I would do in a case like that to really witness to them and to give a, a type of witness with a capital W, I would invite them to sit down with you at your computer, and you pull up your diocese or archdiocese, wherever, wherever your home residence is, and go through the diocesan website for uh, the protection of minors, vulnerable, uh, vulnerable adults, and adults in regards to a priest being accused of some type of impropriety and what the protocol is with the diocese or archdiocese, which includes the involvement of civil authorities immediately. The Catholic Church is currently leading the way in this regard on this particular topic because the program through the Dallas Charter back in 2001 uh, is extremely spelled out, and the dioceses and archdioceses of the United States um, have to follow it. In fact, I just did my new uh, uh, renewal for a five-year period with my diocese of Owensboro, Kentucky, which is the resident diocese of the Fathers of Mercy Main General at House here where we are located at in Auburn, Kentucky. And it took a good two hours to do online, and it includes a background check as well with law enforcement. I even had to pay a fee for the background check for the law enforcement. So it's very, very, very spelled out, and includes a board of laity as well as clerics and religious for the diocese. Uh, It involves the law enforcement, uh, civil authorities, as I just told you, and there's also the protocols in place for uh, letting the immediate superiors know of the uh, purported or alleged impropriety so it can be immediately uh, investigated. So uh, begin with your own diocesan website, which which would have to fall under the Dallas Charter requirements, and, and everything's in place now for all the dioceses in the United States. Get yourself well-versed with it first, 
by you looking at it first, and then you invite your friend to your Protestant friend to sit down with you, and then ask them what their church is doing, but because they don't have the the structure that we have with the dioceses, with you know parishes, dioceses, metropolitan sees, and then from the metropolitan sees up to the USCCB, and from the USCCB directly to the Vatican. Our Protestant brothers and sisters don't have that kind of a structure. We do, so you're going to be hard pressed to find an individual Protestant church that has such a detailed way of investigating things against their pastors or their their catechism teachers for their Wednesday night uh, catechism classes in the Protestant churches, etc., or Sunday schools or whatever. Um, but but ver- well-verse yourself on it first, and then invi- and, and know what you're dealing with with your own diocese, and then everything's right there at the website, and then invite your friend to sit down with you. Hope that helps you out, Sarah. Great question. Thank you so much. Yeah, and to Sarah and anybody who may be listening, and Father Wade, I know you'll back me up on this, and it really is just an extension of what you just said. No one. You would be hard-pressed on planet Earth to find an organization that has done more to ensure the protection of young people and vulnerable adults than the Catholic Church in America. Yeah, absolutely. And even non-vulnerable adults, uh, adults that are consenting adults, if the priest or the, 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 the married CCD teacher is doing something that they shouldn't be doing in an adulterous relationship, and it's made public and it's known, and they should not be teaching CCD for that purpose, or the pastor himself is in a situation with a consenting adult, even with consenting adults, the Church has these things in place. But, but yes, primarily for minors and vulnerable adults, but there's also improprieties even with adults who are consenting, yep. and, and adults that are not consenting. So, great question all the way around. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Basam from the beautiful Orchard Lake, Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Basam, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father. Thank you for your ministry, and thank you for taking my two small questions, if that's okay with you. You're most welcome, Basam. Thank you for your call. Thank you. Uh, for a daily Mass, uh, could a priest choose his own readings that are not prescribed in the, uh, you know, in the normal readings? That's question number one. Uh, does that mean anything if he does choose his own readings? Second question is for the Trinity. The Son takes the form of a male, and the Father is male figure, or the Holy Spirit is Great question. Great question. So first of all, let's address the first question. So yes, there is leeway in the sacred liturgy for the celebrant of the Mass to uh, change the readings, but within reason. So for example, in the lectionary for today, uh, for St. Francis de Sales, a great uh, doctor of the Church and great saint of the Church, uh, he's a a preeminent saint in the Church from the 16th century, Uh, we have the choice of, of having the readings today for Tuesday of the third week in ordinary time, or you can go to the back of the lectionary for January 24th proper for St. Francis de Sales and find three readings that have been called by the authority of the Church in her liturgical documents that are fitting in their theme for the life of Francis de Sales. I say three readings meaning the first reading, the responsorial psalm, and the gospel. So like this morning when I celebrated my private Mass in the smaller Assumption Chapel here in the priest residence of the Fathers of Mercy, um, I chose to do the readings that are proper to 
uh, St. Francis de Sales at the back of the lectionary for January 24th, because I have a great fondness for him because of, of his being a patron saint for journalists, communicators, social media people, etc. And I asked for a special intercession for my continued work for EWTN and Open Line and my work on the road preaching, etc. And he was a he was he was a, a wonderful preacher, and every priest should look to him uh, for their own uh, edification in their own work of preaching the gospel. Um, so I chose those readings, but I could have easily as well have had the readings for Tuesday of the third week of Ordinary Time, because Sunday, two days ago, uh, ushered in or inaugurated the third week of Ordinary Time, so we have all the readings for this third week of Ordinary Time. I could have done either or. Now, for a priest just to choose other readings on his own that are not within what's permitted by the Church's liturgical practicum, then no, he's not allowed, allowed to do that. He can't just pick any, any reading he wants because he has a particular affiliation for some reason or fondness for this particular reading, and he just wants to plug it in and have it at the Mass today. No, it has to be within what the Church permits liturgically, okay? And in this case, what I just described to you, the, the readings proper to the week of ordinary time or the, the readings proper to the calendar day in honor of that saint, which are thematic to that saint's life. Uh, as far as your second question goes, God is three divine persons in one God, and uh, there is one divine person, uh, excuse me, there is one God and three divine persons, and three divine persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is a revealed doctrine. It's also an, inex an inexhaustible doctrine. The Catholic Church actually teaches that you can never claim to know everything there is to know about the Most Holy Trinity. This is from St. Thomas Aquinas, because it's absolutely an, an inexhaustible mystery. So there's always going to be some mystery there that, 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 that we can ponder perpetually about. But we do know that there are are three divine persons in one God because they have been revealed by the Son, and uh, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, became incarnate with a fully human nature, just like ours in every way but sin, huh? So he had the five bodily senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. He had the four primary faculties of the soul, intellect, will, memory, and imagination. He had manhood per se as male. He took on in the, within that human nature rather than the female. He addressed the first person of the Trinity as Father. He is, he is the Father's only begotten Son. To, to, so to illustrate to us uh, in wording, that understandable to us to contemplate this mystery of the Trinity, he's the only begotten Son of the Father. So, so the, the, the Father begets the Son. And so he revealed the first person as Father, precisely as Father. The, the Trinity is also familial. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, St. Augustine and several other church fathers like St. Irenaeus and St. Athanasius said that the Holy Spirit is the expressed love, the expressed familial love between the Father and the Son. So the Holy Spirit is a family, and the human person is a family. We read in the book of Genesis, it is not good that man be alone, huh? And so he, God made him a, a complementary helpmate, right? We also read in the Gospels that Jesus gives us the Our Father when the disciples ask him, Master, teach us how to pray. Uh, Jesus gives us the Our Father in the uh, first person plural. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as opposed to forgive me this day my daily bread and forgive me my trespasses, etc. No, we're not isolated individuals, we're a family, uh, and we're made in the image and likeness of God, the Trinitarian God, who is also a family. So that we could say that, so, so St. Thomas would teach Basam always distinguish, semper distingue, so we can say that Jesus 
took on human beingship while retaining his divine personage. He took on a human nature in every way, just like ours, but in sin. And that human nature was uh, as vir, V-I-R, as a male, as a man. And uh, he revealed to us the Father to give us uh, 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 an education of the what's called what St. Thomas Aquinas called the notion of his relationship with the Father, and the notion with the Holy Spirit as the expressed love between the Father and the Son that is poured out uh, for all for the asking for it, uh, the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, for example, upon the the, the twelve and the Blessed Virgin, uh, the twelve meaning Matthias who replaced Judas after Judas committed suicide. So we know what we know from the revealed uh, uh, words of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself from the Gospels. I hope that helps you out, Basam. Thank you so much for a great question. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Byron in the great state of Washington, and we want to hear from you as well. The number's 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. If you've got a question for Father Wade Menezes, pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. That's what Byron did. He is in beautiful Mercer Island, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Byron, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Thank you, Jack. And uh, Father Wade, I just wanted to say thank you so much for the... uh, marvelous retreat you gave us at the Spokane Diocese Retreat Center uh, this past weekend. It was incredible. Thank you. Thank you, Byron. I appreciate it very much. We had a great group of 41 individuals, of which you were one, and they were a, a great group to preach to, very attentive to the seriousness of the topics, but also uh, re- responded well to my humor during my talks, which I always appreciate as well. So you guys were a fantastic group. Thanks for your call. What, what's your question today? Yes, um, during the retreat, you mentioned uh, it was all right to offer up uh, to God as a sacrifice something that has happened in the past to you, like past suffering or even uh, receiving the sacrament of confirmation in the past. Right. My question would be, uh, how would this be possible if it's already happened because you've gone through the suffering, you've gone through the liturgy, uh, etc.? Okay, great question. Well, We've gone through the liturgy, maybe that particular Mass, but as far as the sacrifice of cross on the Christ for us, you're talking about something that is timeless, huh? So each and every Mass makes present again that one singular sacrifice that Christ carried out for us on the cross, his passion, his death, but also his resurrection and ascension, this four-event event that we call his Paschal Mystery his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. So the Paschal mystery is timeless, and each and every Mass, present the liturgy, presents it to us again, and in a preeminent way, in a preeminent way, with the celebration of the Eucharist, but also with the other six sacraments, the same thing. You might have a nuptial Mass at the celebration of matrimony. The same thing with receiving absolution with the words of absolution imparted to the sinner in confession. It's because Christ died on the cross for us that that mercy of God is, is extended to the, to the confessee, the penitent, in the, in the confessional. So with, even with the other six sacraments, but in a preeminent way, the Eucharist, because the Eucharist is the source and summit, makes present again, per se, 
that Paschal mystery, okay? So because the Paschal mystery is timeless, even if you're offering up a past suffering that's already over, that, that, that you are uh, no longer enduring, you can still offer that up in union with the cross of Jesus Christ, indeed with his entire Paschal mystery. So remember, this, that suffering unites the sufferer with Jesus Christ and his cross, right? Which itself was meant to be a saving and redeeming act for all, for all time, until he comes again at the general judgment, at the second coming of Christ. So it's because that the Paschal Mystery is timeless that we, we can do this. And remember, too, that God's time is not our time, right? Scripture tells us a, a thousand years are as though a day, and a day are, are though a thousand years with God. So, so we see things in chronos, where we get the word chronological from, right? The, the time of man is chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, but the time of God is, is kairos. Think of it as, the, the best image I can give you is, think of it as linear and perpetual. It's, it's all at once, and that's the kairos, the time of God. So both of those are Greek terms. The chronos of man, again, where we get the word chronological from, and uh, kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, the kairos of God, which is just that. It's the time of God. It, it's linear. It's not, it's not encapsulated in certain framings. It's, it's perpetual and in front of us at all times. So there's also that reason, the fact that the chronos and the kairos differ, the time of God and the, and the time of man differ, that uh, we can offer up a, a past suffering uh, in union with the cross. And remember, doing that helps us to heal from that past cross, whatever it was, right? We, we heal from it, and we want to become eventually definitively healed from it. I like to say when I preach to my congregants, you know, I love the words after the Our Father. I think I told this to you in all of the retreatants, uh, Byron, this past weekend at Spokane there at the, at the lovely Immaculate Heart of Mary retreat house, um, that uh, the words after the Our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, I leave you peace, my peace I give you. In other words, he wants to give us his peace, right? He doesn't want us to fall to pieces, Lord, our Lord wants to give us his peace. He doesn't want us to fall to pieces. This is why I'm such a huge advocate of monthly confession, uh, to give him our life on a regular basis through the beautiful sacrament of penance, and of course through Sunday Eucharist, weekly Eucharist, and even more often if you're able to go during the day. Remember, out of all seven sacraments, only two, only two can be received over and over and over and over again with much frequency. Eucharist, and confession, reconciliation, holy penance, the sacrament of penance, right? Uh, the other five cannot. The other five have some stipulation uh, uh, upon them as to how often they can be received. In fact, three of those five can only be received once. That's it. Baptism, confirmation, and holy orders are only received once. Baptism, confirmation, holy orders. The other two of the five, which bring us up to seven now, can be received again true enough, but it wouldn't be with a lot of frequency like Eucharist and confession are received with a lot of frequency. What are those two? Those two are the anointing of the sick and matrimony. So for example, if your spouse dies, the church teaches you can, you can remarry again, right? Correct? Absolutely. Uh, Jack did that with, with Johnette, and Johnette did that with Jack. Uh, they each had prior spouses. 
they became a widow and a widower, and then they married each other. Um, but it wouldn't be with a lot of frequency that you're doing this, you know, uh, but, but you can remarry again. And then with the anointing of the sick, whenever one begins to be in danger of death because of sickness or old age, one can receive the anointing of the sick. And if one is in a persistent illness state, like ongoing cancer, then one is an automatic candidate for the receiving of the anointing of the sick once a month. And this is why you see on some parish um, uh, bulletins that once a month there is a mass offered where the anointing of the sick is given to those who are in a persistent illness state and who are still yet mobile. They can still come to the parish church uh, and receive the anointing of the sick Uh, at that once-a-month Mass. So yeah, God's time is not our time. God's time is is not like the, the time of man, and the Paschal mystery is timeless. And this is why we're able to not only offer past sufferings, but also heal from those past sufferings to receive the peace of Jesus Christ. Byron, thank you so much. Is that, does that help you out? Yes, that's quite beautiful, the fact that um, we can offer these past things up to God during Mass, and the healing can can take place as well as uh, the benefit of the sacrifice as a prayer. Absolutely, amen to that. And, and and now that's just liturgically speaking. How about paraliturgically speaking, like like a Eucharistic holy hour, right, or a Eucharistic procession on Corpus Christi out in the streets? These are all forms of prayer that come from the sacred liturgy. The sacred liturgy, quote-unquote, Byron, is a celebration of any seven of the sacraments, properly speaking. But then we have para-liturgy, from the Greek para, P-A-R-A, meaning like. So para-liturgy, we're literally saying it's like the liturgy, because it stems from the liturgy. So the Eucharistic host that we carry in procession from the sacred liturgy and the celebration of the Eucharist at Sunday Mass— that Eucharistic host consecrated that we carry in procession during that June of Corpus Christi Sunday or Corpus Christi Thursday um, was consecrated at a Mass. It comes from a Mass. So it's not the Mass itself, this, this Eucharistic procession outdoors, but it, it, it's, it's not the sacred liturgy, but it's like the liturgy. It's, it's a paraliturgical act. It's paraliturgy. Same thing with going to your parish church to make a Eucharistic holy hour in the Perpetual Adoration Chapel, where the Eucharist is exposed in the monstrance. That's paraliturgy. It comes from the liturgy, because the, the host you're adoring that hour uh, in, in our Eucharistic Lord and King's real and abiding true presence came from a Mass at which it was consecrated at, and then moved to the side chapel where the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel is to be uh, put in the monstrance for adoration by the lay faithful who come. So these are all examples of paraliturgy. Now how about prayer and piety, uh, the daily rosary, the daily Divine Mercy Chaplet? Uh, another example of paraliturgy is offering your Holy Communion at the liturgy for healing of past sufferings. Uh, but what about the—how about pietistic prayer, piety, devotion, the rosary and the chaplet? When you pray those, it can be for past sufferings, uh, that you can grow from those sufferings, learn from those sufferings, and be healed from those sufferings. Remember, when we pray and unite our sufferings to the cross of Jesus Christ— it's not only that if it be his will that we be alleviated from them, or in, in you, you asked Byron specifically about past crosses that uh, have already gone by. They're not, they're not uh, in our life anymore. We can still offer them up. You, we not only want to pray to be healed from them, but we want to pray to have learned from them. Did that cross come about? Because I put myself in that, old, in, in that, 
in, in that predicament? Did it come about that cross? Did that cross come about because of my own stupidity? Maybe it was an immoral relationship that led to adultery or fornication, let's say. But you pursued it originally. Well, now you see it was a form of suffering, uh, and, and you got out of it, praise God, suffering because it led you into so much mortal sin. Well, learn from it. Pray not only to be healed from it, pray to be one who has learned from their cross. Or maybe you were an innocent victim of your, of your particular form of suffering. It came upon you from an outside source. Okay, you didn't have anything to do with it. It came your way from an outside source. The fact is, learn from that. Pray not only for the healing aspect of your past suffering, pray to learn from your past suffering. An example of that we see in the life of St. Marguerite de Uville uh, from Quebec, Canada, the great uh, Canadian patroness. You know, name, name the, the cross, name the suffering, and she suffered from it seemingly from all outside sources. So, for example, her father died when she was only two. She never knew her father. He died from illness, so that's a, that's a cross, that's a form of suffering. She never knew her father. Um, her husband cheated on her behind her back, was a very adulterous man, practiced adultery with numerous women behind her back. That was thrust upon her. Her mother-in-law did not like her. She had to contend with her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law did not like her at all. Um, then uh, she had a house fire, uh, four infant deaths out of six she had to deal with, Six pregnancies, only four of her children survived. She had that to deal with. And constant persecution from her own bishop when she tried to establish her, her religious order of, of nuns. So, so th that's an example where we have suffering kind of coming from outside areas, where Augustine's cross, his suffering was his own lust. He admits he, he was a lust addict. Padre Pio suffered a bit, as did St. Jerome, from unjust anger. Well, those things come from within, right? As Scripture tells us in Galatians 5 and, and Mark 7, these things are, are born or bred from within. But in St. Marguerite's case, she had suffering coming from outside sources. So whether it's from an outside source, whether it's from, whether it's from within, whatever, we want to pray not only to be healed from the suffering, but to also have learned from the suffering. Hope that helps you out, Byron. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. couple of open lines and still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Next up is Jason in Kalamazoo, Michigan, listening on iHeartRadio. Jason, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. How are you doing today? Doing great, Jason. Thanks for your call from Kalamazoo. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, so I was wondering, in uh, James 2.10, it says, Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at one point is guilty of the whole law. And I wondered um, if that, how does that play in with uh, mortal and venial sin? Because it makes it seem like there's no distinction there. Yeah, it, it militates against the law of God's sanctifying grace for us, which He desires us to have or the actual grace that he desires us to have. So in a, so it doesn't negate venial sin and mortal sin. Sin is always, always, always a personal act, okay? So I think I've used this, Jack, in the, in the past. I'm going to yeah, use we it have, We have not robbed a bank in a while, Father. <laughs> it's about time. Yeah, it's about time we do it again. So let's say Jack and I rob a bank together, which we did not do. I want to make that clear. But let's say we did. Um, first of all, he better tell Johnette that we did that. That's, that's the first thing he better do, okay? <laughs> but no, we did not rob a bank. But let's say we did. It's still a personal act on Jack's part that he robbed the bank, and it's still a personal sinful act on Father Wade's part, even though we carried it out 
carried it out together. Think of an adulterating couple. Uh, let's say she's not married, but the man is. So uh, they're both committing adultery because he's married, right? Well, it's yes, they carried out the adultery together, but it's still a personal act on his part, and it's still a personal act on her part. Now, if the elements are, are present for mortal sin, that is to say grave matter, fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of the will, then a mortal sin is present. If, if any one or two of those three elements is missing, then there's a venial sin. But, but when we stumble with, with uh, an action that is sinful, and then we're guilty of it all, we're guilty against what it is that God wills for us as that best version of self— his sanctifying grace for those of us who have no mortal sin on our soul. When we commit a mortal sin, it, we fall out of that sanctifying grace. And when we fall into venial sin, we don't fall out of sanctifying grace, but the sanctifying grace is greatly constricted, right? A person in mortal sin cannot receive an actual sin, but a person in venial sin can, but maybe those actual uh, uh, graces are lessened because of the habitual venial sin. An example of somebody receiving an actual grace while in a state of mortal sin, I use this on the road, let's say it's a, a young man who uh, has fallen into grave mortal sin in college life, one way or the other, uh, uh, illicit drug use, alcoholism, uh, sexual immorality, whatever. And he's in a state of mortal sin, and he's a good Catholic. Uh, he was raised. He knows the faith. He knows he needs to get back to confession, but he just doesn't go. And lo and behold, he goes shopping one day to get some groceries, and when he makes uh, the corner from aisle 22 into aisle 23, there's the local parish priest in his clerical suit buying his own groceries. Well, that's an actual grace that God has given to the young man to remind him to go to confession, maybe even to go up and start a conversation with the priest, and maybe even ask the priest if he can meet him outside in the parking lot to go to confession in the parking lot of the grocery store. If his heart, if he has that what's called compunction, if he has that compunction, that sorrow for sin, to even go to confession right now and to act on that, that actual grace, or at least to get to confession as soon as is reasonably possible back at the parish church, or to make an appointment with the priest to, to go to confession as soon as is regularly possible, or ask the the priest there in the, in the grocery store aisle, Father, when are your Saturday confessions? I presume you have confessions on Saturday before the Sunday liturgies. What time are your Saturday confessions? Do something to act on that actual grace. So we can receive an actual grace in venial sin and in mortal sin, when, when we are in a state of venial sin and mortal sin. What we lose is uh, sanctifying grace in a state of mortal sin. So we're guilty of all that God wills for us through the law of grace, St. Paul tells us, when we fall and stumble, as the scripture says in James 2.10, when we stumble, we, we fall and lose that, that God wills for us in, in his law of grace. Great question. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it, Jason. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Um, next up is Rita. She is in Indianapolis, Indiana, listening on Catholic Radio Indy. Rita, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Hello, how are you, Rita? Thank you for your call. Oh, thank you. I'm a first-time caller, so I'm so thankful. I really appreciate your show and your um, advice. Um, Father, uh, a couple of callers ago, you talked about how the passion, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord pertains to all the sacraments. So I'd like to know how you relate this to the, the sacrament of marriage. 
Okay, great, great question. Let me ask you a simple yes or no question, a simple yes or no question. I, I mean it purely at face value. And I'm asking you this question not even knowing if you're married or not, and I don't need to know if you're married or not. Let me ask you this. Is it plausible that there could be suffering in a marriage? Yes or no? Yes. Is it plausible that there could be redemption in a marriage? Let's say one of the one of the spouses falls into a state of mortal sin and gets back to confession. Is redemption possible in a marriage? Yes or no? Yes. Right. So we want to die for ourselves in marriage for the other. We want that sacrificial love that one spouse has for another. There's one way right there. In the passion, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord in heaven, that four-event event that we call the Paschal Mystery, right? So we see right there, there is such a thing as suffering in marriage. There is redemption in marriage. There's sacrificial love in, mar- in marriage. John three sixteen. no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Ideally, that's what a spouse does for another spouse, right? Um, and, and so there, there's the passion right there. There's the passio, which means a love, passio, where we get the, the English word passion from, and the Latin is passio, P-A-S-S-I-O. It's a love, yes, but it's not enough to stop there. It's a love that is willing to, to suffer for the other. It's a willing to take on the pain of the other. That's passio. So passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. So I've explained the passio. Passion, death, how about dying to self within marriage, huh? It's not all about you. It's about us as a covenantal couple. Uh, Passion, death, resurrection. We rise again from our falls, and we take that annual marriage retreat. I know one couple that goes on a marriage retreat like clockwork once every six months. More power to them. And the husband says, well, we especially can do it ever since now that we're empty nesters. Well, okay, praise God. You're empty nesters. You can now make that second retreat uh, uh, during that second six-month period. So there's that redemption there, right, of, of, re- of that redeeming love, that redeeming uh, uh, from the cross, and, and living God's sanctifying grace. So passion, death, resurrection, in other words, arising from the dead, right? And, and living that best version of self precisely as a married couple. And then uh, ascension into heaven. Uh, we hope to one day go into heaven ourselves, go to heaven ourselves, right? So we want the beatific vision. We want eternal beatitude. We want heaven for all eternity. So here you have the elements within the sacrament of matrimony of those, that four-event event of the Paschal Mystery, the passion, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. You know... Um, the greatest love that one spouse can have for another, Rita, is to one day want to see them in heaven. One time I saw a, um, a, a wedding invitation that had, it, had written on the very front of it, the, the very front cover of the wedding invitation, quote, the main purpose of a sacramental marriage is to help get one another into heaven. Amen. The main purpose of a sacramental marriage is to help get one another into heaven. And I even used that quote, I believe, Jack, in, in your and Johnette's uh, yes, wedding homily did. down in Florida a few years back. I, I think I began the homily with that beautiful quote. And that's it. That, that is it. We want to get into heaven. And, you know, the latest longevity statistics, Rita, is that those of us living in the West uh, is around 78. Women live a little longer than men. Women live an average of 78.8 years. Men live an average of 78.4 years. I like to joke it's probably because women are better cooks, right? But men are better grillers. I still stand strong that men are better grillers. <laughs> but nevertheless, how are we going to use this, this 
average of 71 years. Why do I say 71? Well, because the first, the first six to seven years, you're not within the age of reason. The Church teaches that the age of reason is right around age seven, entering into age eight. That's why we have First Confession and First Holy Communion around age seven, the age of reason. So uh, these 71 years that are left, or 72 years that are left, um, how are we going to morally respond to God for this or for that, for this good or for this evil, for this virtue or for this vice, for this thing for my betterment or this thing for my detriment? Well, hopefully it'll be all the good things, the, the betterment, uh, the good, the virtue, etc. And this is a message to take within marriage and with each spouse looking out for the other. Does that help you out, Rita, how the Paschal Mystery kind of ties into that particular sacrament of matrimony? Yes, it does. Thank you, Father. You're welcome very much. God bless you now. Very quickly, we'll head to Thomas in Seattle, Washington, listening on the Sacred Heart app. Thomas, just a couple of minutes left with Father Wade. What's your question today? Yeah, um, mine, I'll just try to be as brief as I can. As regarding, uh, the, the, I mean, a certain uh, parish, and uh, it has this tradition from a certain uh, different community, but it's kind of like they has infested so much into the, the parish that it has a big influence on the priest who's, uh, I would say, like, in their jaws and uh, affects so many things in terms of, like, say, controlling the uh, orders of how to run the parish and uh, just even how everything is done. And I don't know the right way how we can actually have this addressed, if there's any way, but I think we have a big problem. Uh, Jack, did you hear that a little bit, maybe a little clearer than I did? Yeah, I said, I said there's two communities. It goes to a parish that has two communities, and the, okay. the, the priest clearly favors one of the communities. Okay. And it's not the one Thomas is in. <laughs> okay, got it, got it, yeah. So one parish, two communities of individuals, and there seems to be a favoritism towards one of those groups by the priest. You know, grace comes through the chain of command, so I'm, I'm a big advocate of following that rule. Grace comes through the chain of command. So maybe a few of the individuals from the from the community that feels they're left out by the pastor, they're not favored upon as much by the pastor. A few people from that group, but, but who are level-headed, who are not quick to anger, who are not quick to judge. Thomas, you're calling with a, to ask this question with a certain calm about you, which I admire. Maybe you could be one of these people, and you know some of the other individuals in the community that you're in that feels maybe disfavored a bit by the pastor. Seek out maybe two or three others. I wouldn't do more than four total, I don't think, yourself and maybe three others, uh, that are level-headed, that are calm, that are not quick to anger, and simply ask for a meeting with with your pastor, and then and then share with him. Say, Father, you know, we have no doubt that that you're not you're, that you're not doing this intentionally, but we just wanted to share with you how it is coming off, how how it's appearing to us in the parish, and we we share this with you out of love. We share this with you out of concern because we we love you. We we like very much your leadership and approach it that way with a calm and with great great charity. You never know what God can do with a situation like that by following the grace of command, going to the one who is in charge, in this case, the pastor. Great question, Thomas. Thank you so much. Where can we learn more about the Fathers of Mercy? At fathersofmercy.com. And we uh, can schedule a come-and-see weekend for any young man thinking about a, a priestly vocation with an active missionary preaching order. Could you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, producer Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and social media maven Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless.